Hey everyone, I'm Eva, the co-host of a new segment of the Invisible Not Broken podcast. I will be interviewing practitioners who specialize in chronic illnesses as well as have chronic illnesses themselves. I personally have fibromyalgia, hypermobility syndrome, and possibly some other chronic conditions, but the jury's still out on those. I'm also the co-founder of Wellacopia, which helps people with chronic illnesses find their ideal medical and wellness practitioners. We consider preferences in approach to care, personality traits, details on your conditions, and of course, these are practitioners who get you, who will listen to you, and look at you as a whole person. We use a compatibility matching algorithm, pretty similar to that of online dating, because after all, we are looking for that perfect someone that we will have a long-term relationship with that's best fit for our individual needs. As an Invisible Not Broken podcast subscriber, we are exclusively offering our personal services to help you find that medical or wellness practitioner, even if they're not on Wellacopia just yet. All you have to do is contact us directly. You can text us at 646-883-3022 or email us at contact at wellacopia.com. I'll be sure to put those in the show notes, but now let's get started with the episode. Hello, Melissa. Welcome to Invisible Not Broken. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Such a pleasure. And thank you for um, offering to talk to me and the community today. It's my pleasure. Thank you. So just to jump right in, um, I'd love you to tell us just a little bit about who you are in terms of being a patient and practitioner. And then let's go into your story. Sure. Um, I am 61 years old now. Um, starting when I was in medical school in my late 20s, I developed migraines. A lot of headaches, more and more headaches through the years. Then I started developing some irritable bowel and allergy symptoms. <clears throat> then, um, as time went on in my 40s, I was getting 15 migraines a month. Even on migraine preventative medicine, I was starting to get some bad neck and shoulder pain, dizziness, then extreme fatigue. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm a mom of two young kids. I'm working, I'm exercising, I'm busy. So this is all, you know, what is going on. Then I started getting illnesses every week from my pediatric patients. And that is totally weird, right? Because Pediatricians are like school teachers. Our immune systems strengthen over yeah. time. And here I'd been a pediatrician for 18 years, and all of a sudden I started getting sick again. So nobody could figure out what I had. Then my mom started to develop severe chest wall pain out of the blue. She really hadn't had much pain to speak of, certainly not chronic pain, not severe pain ever. And it was really bad. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. And neither could her, I mean, I'm her doctor and pediatrician daughter. So I, you know, she went to her internist and they couldn't figure it out. So she went to the Mayo Clinic and they said, oh, you must be depressed and you could have fibromyalgia. So 
when I went to see them for Christmas that same year, a couple months later, on the dining room table was a printed out uh, copy of a website of a fibromyalgia specialist named Dr. Paul St. Amand, who's an internist and rheumatologist, I mean, uh, endocrinologist at Harbor UCLA. And they're like, okay, you're our doctor daughter, come with mom to her appointment. I'm like, sure, I'll go. And so we flew to LA and Dr. St. Amand took a look at mom's history, asked her questions about fibromyalgia symptoms, and then did a careful physical exam. And he said, yes, you have fibromyalgia. Here's what I, here are your options. Here's what I recommend you do. And then he turned to me and he said, because you have a first degree relative with fibromyalgia, you, meaning me, are eight and a half times more likely than the general population to have fibromyalgia. He said, could I examine you? Now, you might, and eight and a half times more likely, that's huge. Let's say you have a first degree relative with lupus or rheumatoid arthritis, um, autoimmune illness. You're twice as likely than the general population to have it yourself. But eight and a half times more likely to have it? That's like crazy. So I was like, sure, go ahead and examine me. And he found that I had the signature muscle spasm and swollen contracted muscles, tendons, and ligaments that he found were diagnostic of fibromyalgia. And so then it was like, for me, it was like Alice going down the rabbit hole. Oh, chronic headaches, dizziness, chronic pain, IBS, fatigue. This all fits together. I guess this is what I have. And so then I started the education phase where I remember going to Barnes and Noble, going to the health section, sitting on the floor and pulling out (laughs) (laughs) and reading them. Of course, I ordered some too, got some out of the library. And what I found was pretty depressing. I mean, One of the books, I think it is the Cleveland Clinic book, said the prognosis for improvement or the prognosis for people with fibromyalgia is dire. I'm like, what? Dire? Like, like, I I know. That's why it, it sticks in my mind because it was just so striking. And then I also read that most commonly, it's treated with heavy-duty pharmaceuticals to mask the pain and sedate you so you sleep a little bit better. And um, then I realized that many healthcare providers don't believe it's a real condition. And I'm like, um, you know, what I'm feeling is real and uh, I'm not making it up. So that's when. I worked on a personalized treatment plan for me, which included acupuncture, which has always been super helpful for me, Um, uh, mild yoga, which has also been super helpful. And Dr. St. Amand had developed something called the Guaifenesin Protocol um, that he found to be really helpful. So I went on that protocol. 
And it helped me really return to good health. I was so sick that I had had to retire from my pediatric practice. Um, and that was super sad, but I was so symptomatic. I, I really couldn't continue. So after 20 months of the acupuncture and the guaifenesin protocol, I was able to return to medicine. And how long did you return to medicine as a pediatrician? I never did. And so um, I was talking to Dr. St. Amand and he said, well, instead of going back to pediatrics, why don't you become a fibromyalgia consultant for children and adults? He said that I already knew from my perspective, but that I could train with him and he would teach me everything I needed to know. I was like, wow, cool. Treating adults and kids, you know, how novel. And also I wanted to learn more about how the protocol was working for other people because this protocol isn't widely known and it uses, because it uses an over-the-counter medicine, um, uh, guaifenesin, which is an expectorant. And so there aren't any drug company monies to do big studies on it. Right. So I went and trained with him and I was so impressed with the number of people that I saw with fibromyalgia that were getting better over time and significantly better. And from what I knew from talking to different rheumatologists and neurologists and primary care doctors, um, the amount of progress that their patients were making in a year was far less than many of Dr. St. Amon's patients. I was like, yeah, well, guaifenesin gave me my life back. Why don't I pay it forward? And and open my own practice. And so now I'm starting my ninth year. Ninth year. Woo. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Almost a decade. That's amazing. And it's so great that not only are you, I guess, like a hyper specialist, but in something that you experience firsthand, both the illness at its worst and also um, the, the work that you give other people. You've, you've been through it. You've, you've used it yourself. Uh, and I, yeah, when we talked originally um, about both the, I'm going to say, right, guaifenesin protocol, <laughs> got it. <laughs> um, it's a combination, like it was part of the diagnosis and also the use. I think we should talk about like exactly what that is, first of all. Um, but also that, um, oh, right. Yeah. You said that the diagnosis, actually, I found that to be one of the most uh, fascinating points the diagnosis process of fibromyalgia and actually being very clear when yes. to any other doctor, if, if they believe it's even a thing, uh, it's like, uh, here are some tender points. You seem to fit the bill. You are symptomatically in line with the majority of people who have it. And then maybe they do, maybe they don't. I mean, right. because fibromyalgia does sort of seem like an umbrella to those who don't know how to diagnose it. Uh, and, and also, it's a comorbidity of a lot of other illnesses, right? right. Um, like, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia first, but yes. I also have hypermobility syndrome, hopefully yes. not EDS, but definitely some joint stuff. Right. And uh, I'm almost certain I had the joint condition first. Yes. Even right. if I was diagnosed with fibro first. 
Um, yeah, you're in California. I'm in New York. I kind of wish I was in California so you could do the physical exam on me. Because uh, even though I do fit the description. I Didn't I hear that Wellacopia might be launching in California in the future? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. There you go. <laughs> well, I, I definitely want to get over there. Right now. Oh, yeah. We have a, uh, definitely a number of practitioners down in California and a number of yeah. patients in California. And... Um, something I believe I've mentioned in other episodes is that we're actually starting to grow in pockets around the country too. Very exciting. Very oh yeah. Um, yes, you're absolutely right about me. Um, because I have fibromyalgia, knowing what it felt like for me and continues to feel like for me to have that, the symptoms before I was diagnosed and I was just so, so sick with, with chronic widespread pain and all those migraines and dizziness. I remember when I was still working, if I wasn't careful, if I would turn quickly away from the child to go get the otoophthalmoscope to look in their ears, I'd get so dizzy I'd almost hit the floor. Whoa. And there were some times where I was so sick, I thought surely I must be dying. Um, and the doctors couldn't figure out what was going on. And I just hoped and prayed that um, I would live until my youngest child was seven because I thought that at that age, she would remember me and remember the love I had for her. So I've been through those dark times. Um, and so I can identify um, with patients who have been to those, through those dark times too. And, uh, you know, I'm so much better. And that's a possibility for all of us with fibromyalgia to get better. Um, and so the glyphenicin protocol, such a big gift for me. And so my mentor, Dr. Paul St. Amand, who just turned 92, he um, is still in full-time practice at Harbor UCLA as an endocrinologist, uh, internal medicine doctor, and fibromyalgia specialist. He spends most of his time um, doing fibromyalgia consulting, though. And so in the 1980s, he started to see a lot of people in his office that had chronic pain. And he did a careful physical exam on these patients. And he found that they had swollen, contracted muscles, tendons, and ligaments, which are throughout our body. This is what gives many of us with fibromyalgia the rocks in our shoulders. Oh, that... yeah. You mean my, my wall of rocks? <laughs> exactly. <The> wall <laughs> my back. I definitely identify with that, that's for but sure. Massage therapists are like, oh, okay, all we've got to do is really loosen this up. And it sure, it might help for a little while, but then the... I shocked a few of them. They were like, wait, what? What's going on here? <laughs> Me too. They're like, oh. Um, and so he, um, he found that we have the swollen, contracted muscles, tendons, and ligaments throughout our body, and that we all have little, tiny swollen, contracted muscles, tendons, and ligaments down our left anterior thigh. And that was diagnostic of fibromyalgia. And the way he knew that is that he examined 2,000 people who had been diagnosed 
with fibromyalgia by a rheumatologist or a neurologist, and they all had these little bumps. And usually the little bumps are so small and they don't hurt, but he was like, wait a minute, then I can diagnose with 100% certainty whether someone has fibromyalgia or not. And that, that's so cool, right? And speaking of like EDS, so I remember a couple years ago, I, there was one patient who then started a little migration of EDS patients to see me. She said, I, I know I have EDS, and now my doctor says I have fibromyalgia as well. I don't think I do, but they want me to go on different pharmaceuticals to treat fibromyalgia. Can I see you? I'm like, sure. And I saw her. She did not have the swellings in her left anterior thigh. I'm like, don't worry about fibromyalgia. You don't have that. Concentrate on your other things. So it's really so nice to, one, be able to diagnose it with 100% certainty, and two, to be able to tell someone if they don't have it. Yeah, that's really remarkable. Like if someone came to me, I'm, I mean, I'm not a doctor and I'm not an expert, uh, but just from experience and knowing people, if, if someone with EDS came to me and said, I think I have fibromyalgia, I'd probably be like, you probably do. I mean, <laughs> like it's usually comes with autoimmune diseases and you're over it, probably fatigued and lots of have neuropathy. I'm like, yeah, maybe, but <laughs> you yeah. know, and that's just frustrating. First of all, it would be incorrect in this case. Uh, but also it's like, so like as someone with fibromyalgia myself, sometimes I even get discouraged at this point and it's like, I'll give the air quotes. Like I have fibromyalgia. Right. It's almost like I'm acting like one of those doctors who doesn't believe. And it's like, I obviously believe in what I'm experiencing. Yes. But do, do I have fibromyalgia? Sounds like I do. <laughs> from from well, what we've, yeah. From, right. And, and the reason that it's important is because if you don't have fibromyalgia, then you can concentrate on treating the conditions you know that you have. If you do have fibromyalgia, then you can concentrate on what works best for fibromyalgia. And, and sure, things, things like exercise and um, proper hydration and mind-body therapies work for all conditions. Yeah. A big water bottle, right? Exactly. But there are certain specific things to know about fibromyalgia and how to treat it that can be super helpful. If people know that they do have that condition. Yeah. And also not taking drugs, especially like if absolutely. you're going to take Lyrica or something and you don't actually have fibromyalgia, I don't even, well, my personal opinions are don't like Lyrica, but if it helps people, I'm happy. Good for that. Fine. <laughs> Me too. Um, but um, yes. And, and so everyone needs to decide knowing what they're, true diagnoses is what types of medications and supplements and, and, and different types of um, uh, treatments they want to pursue. And, and so for me, getting the diagnosis of fibromyalgia, I was like, no, I, I, what I want is to find the most effective treatments that have the fewest side effects. Makes sense to me. <laughs> and I took a look at 
the studies on Lyrica, Cymbalta, and Civella, the three FDA-approved medications for fibromyalgia, and saw that um, if you take a look at the data out six months after people start, they're no different than placebo. So they, they might start working initially, but at six months, they're no better than taking nothing, but they have a lot of side effects. Yeah. Can, can we actually talk about the placebo effect for a, a minute? Because uh, this has really been on my mind lately. I just watched the documentary uh, Heal, uh, which is on Netflix. I don't Did Did oh. we talk about this? Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. You should see it. Oh, I'm writing that down yeah. right now. I highly recommend it to everyone, um, regardless of what you think at the end. Yes. Uh, okay. It focuses on um, how, how do I say this? Like, you can manifest health from your mindset, in, in short. Uh, and I'm aware that that is a complex thing because there's yes. some factors in that. However, obviously we've seen time and time again that this can be the case. I mean, even in Eastern medicine. But the reason I bring this up now yes. is because as I was watching this, this video, I, um, I, I've always thought that the placebo effect is a phenomenal type of, of treatment because at the end of the day, if it works, it works. So when people ask me, let's say, because we have medical and wellness practitioners on Wellacopia. So we do have some Reiki practitioners, obviously acupuncture, so on. And they'll say to me, well, what if, you know, we can't find proof for them? And I say, well, obviously they work for some people and they definitely don't hurt them. So in my book, regardless, and there are enough studies on them, I'm very happy because if they help people, they help people. Right. But I, I guess I said it in a negative light, which was if it's placebo effect, still good with me. And placebo effect has this negative air about it, like, oh, it's not real. Yes. But what placebo effect is, it's actually just mind, mindset manifestation. That's, that's a positive way of looking at it. Someone decided whatever is happening to me right now is going to help me. Yes. And then it does. Yes. <laughs> and that's awesome, right? I'm all for the placebo effect. Yeah, but it shouldn't be the placebo effect. It should be like, okay, doctors, you know, I mentioned this many times. My, my husband is a doctor and he's in a yes. fellowship. So he's like really in the throes of it right now. Research is everything. Right. And we were, so we watched it together. I love getting his perspective being such a standard medicine guy. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, well, yeah, a lot of the time the placebo effect is just as effective, if not more. Yes. Yes. Than some. So um, yeah. the two things about that. The only problem with talking to people, and, and I'll just talk about fibromyalgia, about the placebo effect and how effective it can be is that it puts pressure on them that, all right, they just have to be better at, at the mental part and trying to kind of get the placebo effect rolling so they'll feel better. So you see what I mean? It's like, Oh, you're not better yet? Well, come on. <laughs> you know, get your mind with the program and you know, kickstart the placebo effect. So, but what Dr. Sainamon found with our abnormal physical exam is that these swollen muscles, tendons, and ligaments press on nerves that can cause pain. 
we have an abnormal physical exam. Yeah. So there may be limits to what a placebo effect can do. Oh, of course. I mean, I think it's so varied. So I don't, I'm not saying that people don't take medications or don't do certain therapies, um, but it shouldn't be overlooked at the same time. There's, I mean, there's definitely <laughs> physical um, things going on with this. And I don't even just mean pain. I mean, like the rocks in our back <laughs> that we spoke about. It is actually, you know, so what you're talking about really is something that bothers a lot of us with invisible illnesses, which is people can't see it. Right. Right. Exactly. But can. they can, or at least feel it. That is physical. Definitely. So you're actually going against what everyone says. In the, you're like, guess what? Yeah. You can actually feel it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going against with what everyone says, um, except the people who have been examined by uh, someone who's been trained by Dr. St. Amand or me. And, be, and been mapped. That's what we call it when you are mapping, you know, when, when you are feeling those areas. And so when I do an evaluation, a new patient evaluation, I spend a lot of time on past medical history, get the symptoms, and then I examine someone. And I have a little um, blank uh, figure and I, I will color in in dark circles where I find the swollen contracted muscles, tendons and ligaments and muscle spasm throughout the body. And then if they want me to send the information to their healthcare team, I send them the map and I'm like, look, their physical exam is not normal. It's consistent with fibromyalgia. But you know what? It's interesting to me. A lot of my patients say that their doctors don't touch them. So they haven't been taught how to examine uh, you know, someone with fibromyalgia and compare it to normal. Um, and one of my favorite things is to have healthcare professionals in my office and, and mapping a bunch of fibromyalgia patients with me. And if their eyes, I mean, become big and they're like, oh my God, I can feel, I can feel them. I can feel, and one of the largest areas of swelling is around the inguinal ligament area, um, where most of us have very, very swollen inguinal ligaments. And some of my patients have, their doctors have had them go through surgery to have some of these swellings removed. Really? Yeah. And of course they grow back because yeah. it's part of the fibromyalgia um, syndrome. But, uh, but yes, I mean, the, the fact that knowing that in fibromyalgia, our physical exam is not normal. That, that's huge for people with fibromyalgia to be like, yeah, I, I get it. It's not just in my head. You're that we're not going crazy. <laughs> well, we might we might be going crazy. But we're we going crazy because of it. Exactly. <laughs> I, mean, I think Monica has said this. Um, I don't know the statistics on it, but uh, like a, a good number of us, I'll say, uh, have legitimate PTSD because of uh, fibromyalgia and, or invisible illness in, in general, uh, because we're experiencing 
such horrible pain and abnormalities and people think we're lying. We think we're lying sometimes. Like you said, it's like, oh, what's going on with me? This isn't normal. I, I hope yeah. I live. I don't even know if this is like an, you know, a terminal situation. Um, and you go, go a little nuts. <laughs> and, and also um, to, to be made felt that we're either, um, depressed or stressed or lazy or crazy you know these yeah, these things mm. you know, and <laughs> these are, are not good ways to feel but i remember um a couple years ago i had been treating a, a teenager with fibromyalgia her parents were super supportive and and then a, a couple years after um the teenager was diagnosed her mom developed fibromyalgia symptoms and she was like oh my god I had no idea this is what it felt like. So even though she was super sympathetic, she couldn't be empathetic until she got it. So, um, you know, I, I try to understand healthcare practitioners who think it's all in our head. And, and I say, you know, they, they have just not been educated yet. They just don't know what the physical exam is like. And, they haven't felt the the feelings that that we feel in fibromyalgia. Um, that doesn't absolve them of of how they might treat us poorly. But um, it's it's amazing to me how how many of us can be so tired and be in so much pain and still be upright. It is amazing. For example, uh, our co-host. Monica. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. He is so many words. <laughs> yeah. And so that that's crazy, right? That, that that we we are so symptomatic and we are willing us ourselves to get through the day and we're called lazy and crazy. So there's there's this this disconnect. And so one of the things that I try to do with my new patients and all of my patients is to validate their symptoms and to empower them to to really find their tribe of people who who really can support and understand them and get a healthcare team that that can really do that for them um because fibromyalgia is real and the symptoms are real and there's hope for everybody with fibromyalgia to get better. So. Well, thank you. Cause I think that's something a lot of us need to hear. We feel like it's um, just something we're stuck with and something we have to deal with. And, and in some ways it is always going to be something that we deal with, sure. um, but like it doesn't technically go away, but it can be asymptomatic or you go through really good periods. It's, it's, it's ongoing. Like right now, I've been doing pretty well myself because I've been taking care of, uh, I've been listening to my body and, and really doing what's been right for it. But I know that there's going to be a point where that's not as much the case. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. I have to go back to doing what I do best. Hopefully. Yes, absolutely. You know, um, I, I found an analogy I like. Um, let's think of another chronic invisible illness like fibromyalgia that has a strong genetic component. Type one insulin, um, mm -hmm. 
dependent diabetes. Great. So would you say to someone who has type 1 insulin-dependent diabetes, you just need to rest? This is all in your head? You just find the placebo effect? Just chill out. No. <laughs> they need treatment. They need insulin. Their fibromyalgia is exactly the same. Chronic invisible illness with a strong genetic component. That really is news to me, by the way. I think I started to see a bit of a pattern and possibly my sister, but I haven't told her that yet because I'm observing from <laughs> far. Just like, mm-hmm. Nodding. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll give you a tip. Um, the way to know, one way to know in the older folks is that Dr. St. Amand and I have found that everybody with fibromyalgia develops osteoarthritis later on. Not rheumatoid. Rheumatoid's autoimmune, but osteoarthritis. And one of the cool things about guaifenesin, other than helping a lot of us feel better, is it stops the progression of osteoarthritis. So, um, and this osteoarthritis, especially in our C-spine, and as the spine goes down, it can develop early, like in the 20s. So I remember um, seeing a woman at a 4th of July party a few years ago, and she looked to be my age, and I, I saw that her joints were swollen. I didn't know her. We were, uh, we were at a big table, and some of my friends were talking to me um, about how my work was going and mentioned fibromyalgia. And then later on, she came up to me, and she said, can I ask you something? And I said, yeah, do you want to ask me um, about your chronic pain? And she was like, how did you know? <laughs> so be, because um, osteoarthritis is not normal to develop in the human body. So, you know, take a look at your older aunts, uncles, parents, grandparents, and if they have you know, the swollen joints, or if they have been diagnosed with rheumatism, or if they've got chronic back pain, they could have mild fibromyalgia. And it's probably about 10% of the population. So yeah, the last statistics I saw on it were 10 million Americans. Yeah, and it's underdiagnosed. It's probably much. Yeah. So you weren't ever diagnosed with anything else? Right? Well, uh, yeah, I um have allergies and um i've had epstein bar too uh in my body yep and i have some mast cell activation too. oh really oh. yeah which is very exciting yeah so um i'm and i'm hypermobile also not like you i can only like get my finger back this far <laughs> but um i do have some hypermobility issues and really have to watch um my posture Otherwise, I'll get neck and shoulder pain. Uh, so those are the things that I'm, I'm basically dealing with now. Yeah. I'm sure there are people, I guess, with just fibromyalgia, but I found it to be rare. Or there's things they haven't uncovered yet. Because uh, it, it definitely tends to be paired or grouped with a lot of different things. And, and really, I think that could even just be, I mean, you tell me, you're the fibro expert. Um, uh, anxiety or depression 
I don't know if I said the word just, I shouldn't say just, I guess I meant by like mental illness versus uh, something that manifests physically, but, but mental illness does actually manifest physically. I'm kind of yes. answering my own situation here. Absolutely. Um, but it's chronic stress, right? On the body. Right. It's chronic right. stress on the body. So yes, there are, um, there are central nerve. So if you take a look at that, the symptoms that occur in at least third, a third of people with fibromyalgia, the central nervous system symptoms are fatigue, anxiety, depression, non-restorative sleep, trouble with concentration, and memory. Um, so these happen in a third of people with fibromyalgia. And so people can have underlying depression or anxiety, but fibromyalgia fuels the flames of that. So it's been so cool to see in my treatment of fibromyalgia how the anxiety and depression and non-restorative sleep and trouble with concentration and memory decreases in intensity. Um, and so that is, that is a part of, of um, the fibromyalgia constellation of symptoms other than, you know, body pain. So that's something that definitely needs to be recognized. But uh, to address your question, so what I do when I see someone with fibromyalgia, especially if they have a lot of fatigue, I want to make sure that they don't have hypothyroidism because that can add to the symptoms of fibromyalgia, that they don't have anemia, that they don't have Lyme disease, that they uh, have normal um, uh, kidney and um, liver function. And, and then I want to make sure that they don't have obstructive sleep apnea because it occurs in 45% of people with fibromyalgia, even without the risk factors of obesity or snoring. So 21% of all people in the U.S. have it. But if you have fibromyalgia, it's 45%. And when I saw the study of it's like 594 patients that, you know, half had fibromyalgia, half didn't, and they had sleep studies and it showed all this um, obstructive sleep apnea. So now I have all of my patients 30 and over ask their primary care doctor to order a sleep study. And my 30-somethings say that their primary care doctor's like, they're grumbling when they're writing the... <laughs> and sure enough, what do I find? 45% of them do have obstructive sleep apnea, just like what the study results show. So if you are not getting enough oxygen to your brain and your body at night, of course you're not going to feel well. As far as I'm aware, I don't have apnea. I could be in the other 55%, but yeah. Yeah. I guess we don't know. I definitely have non-restorative sleep. There you go. So <laughs> yeah, so just, just something to think about. And a lot of people, when they think about obstructive sleep apnea, are like, oh my God, there is just no way that I can wear that mask and the noisy thing. Well, um, I've come to learn that a lot of times the first treatment depending on what the sleep study shows is a comfortable um, like night guard that opens your mouth just a little bit to allow more oxygen in. So, but also, you know, if you have chronic pain and non-restorative sleep, it's probably a good idea to know what your sleep is like with a sleep study. So you can, if you want to 
do something about it? Meaning, you know, do you want to pursue different kinds of treatments with the sleep specialist? Then you can. Very true. So far, I do have one of those apps that monitor my sleep. Yeah. So that, that does help a bit. And I have a really good bed for it too. I have a, what do you call it? A uh, Tempur-Pedic. Good. Which, by the way, was like half a present that my parents got me when I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. When I was diagnosed when I was 20, they were like, what can we do? And I said, help me buy this bed. <laughs> yes, that was so great. I mean, it's much better than cocaine or, you know, I really think it, it probably lasted longer and, you know, helped. Oh, yeah, it lasted eight, nine years. So I love that bed. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. So before I forget, I really want to learn more about what the protocol entails. Like I know there are different steps to it yes. uh, because I, I'm sure a lot of people listening have no idea what it, what it is. I didn't hear about it before you. So. Yeah. And, and that's the sad thing, right? Because, um, because, uh, there, again, it's an over the counter medication and, and so there, there isn't drug company, but it, it, you're not going to see an, Add for the guaifenesin protocol during the Super Bowl. You know, there just isn't that kind of money. But the best way to find out is this wonderful book, What Your Doctor May Not Tell You About Fibromyalgia um, by Dr. Paul St. Amand. And it's my favorite general review of fibromyalgia itself. So you can learn more about what fibromyalgia is and isn't. And then a specific review of the GUI protocol. And going on my website, melissacongdenmd.com, or Dr. Sainamon's website, fibromyalgiatreatment.com, it takes you through the specifics of the protocol. And on Dr. Sainamon's website, uh, there is a link to an online support group. Claudia Marek, who's his medical assistant and co-author of his book, has an email support group where mm -hmm. if you sign up for it, um, you can ask questions, she can get you started, and there are tons of great Facebook groups um, like Fibro Fighters on Guaifenesin. So they help people who can't get in to see Dr. St. Amand or me um, learn the steps of the protocol. So um, there's a lot of support out there. But the first thing is um, uh, get the book from the library, um, order it on Amazon, uh, either um, Kindle, uh, you know, or um, the, the paperback version and uh, get yourself educated. That's the first thing. And then you'll learn the right type of guaifenesin to buy, which is the long acting, um, dye free. And there is a wonderful, um, place called the Fibro Pharmacy at fibropharmacy.com, and they sell the type of guaifenesin that you need to buy. And so, the the whole reason why it works is that Dr. Saint Amand found that when people take guaifenesin, their kidney excretion of phosphate is increased by six times. So. This, he hypothesizes that even though our kidney function's normal, our kidneys are a little sluggish in excreting phosphate. And maybe that's what is in part of these rocks, right? If we have excess phosphate 
in all the cells in our body. You remember from high school biology? What do the mitochondria make? Yeah. ATP. Wow. Yeah, wow. That's, um, yeah, I was going to say, how did he figure that out? But yeah, actually, I can see uh, sort of the downstream effects. Huh. Definitely. So that guaifenesin uh, allows the kidneys to excrete phosphate, and over time, the nodule, that's the swollen muscles, tendons, and ligaments, decrease in number and size. And over time, we feel better. So it's simple. You have to um, uh, be educated to finding the right type of guaifenesin and the right dose and avoid products that block its action. Right, right. That seems very important. So it's, I, I, it's very, yeah, it definitely should be noted, especially now on the podcast, that it's, it, it, it might be an over-the-counter substance, but it yes. cannot be used willy-nilly. It's not like going to the drugstore and buying some vitamin B12 situation. Like it, it is very particular, like you said with, I mean, I want you to talk about the yeah. um, inhibitors as well as like it can be a little dangerous. Like if you do too much, too little, something. I don't, I don't want to say. The only, the only danger is that you could make your symptoms ratchet up. Ah, but um not actually dangerous but very unfortunate unpleasant yes <laughs> absolutely yeah. absolutely yes there are only a few simple rules to making progress decreasing your nodules on the protocol but you have to follow them exactly or your glyphosate won't work and so the first one is finding the right type of glyphosate and um some people can get away with using mucinex, even though it's not all long acting and it does have blue dye, but a large proportion of the population, blue dye gets into our mitochondria and inhibits energy production and that medication doesn't work for us. And so the fiber pharmacy sells guaifenesin. It's inexpensive, certainly compared to most things. It's about $60 a month. Um, and I write prescriptions for my patients who want it because then their FSA or HSA will pay for it. And, and so, um, to, to, yes, uh, go to the fiber pharmacy and, and get the dye-free compounded guaifenesin. And then, um, it's important to understand that, um, you can eat anything in normal food quantities. Um, but if you take herbal extracts, they block the action of guaifenesin. So if you can imagine the kidney in a little receptor site there, echinacea and other herbal products fit better in the receptor site where guaifenesin works and they stick there for 24 hours. So let's say you think you're coming down with a cold. You take echinacea and a half hour later you take guaifenesin. It's not going to work decreasing your nodules that day and so you have to take a look at your oral products and one of the things that people often miss um without me or the support group leaders telling them tea is an herbal product what is a bunch of leaves it's more than a normal food quantity so you can make your own tea with a little slice of lemon a little slice of orange a bit of fresh ginger some cloves but 
if you buy tea in a bag or, or you know, just the leaves, it'll block Bifenesis action. And um, if you use plant oils, gels, and extracts on your skin, other than corn, rice, oat, wheat, and soy oil, then that blocks glyphenosin too. So, yeah, I mean, so, but luckily there are tons of healthy and wonderful products that I can help people find. And so can um, Fibro Fighters on Glyphenosin Facebook group and um, uh, uh, Claudia Marek's uh, email support group, the Gwai group. There are uh, so many wonderful, healthy products that you can use that don't block white medicine. And so it's for me, it was like, okay, yeah, you know, I, I miss my old favorite shampoo, but I don't miss the 15 headaches a month. Yeah, right? you know, like weighing the pros and cons, <laughs> I think one becomes more obvious than another, of course. And if that's the thing you have to change, you know, it's not as big a deal. Um, but it can be overwhelming at first. And that's why the fibro pharmacy has something called a startup kit where they offer your guaifenesin, shampoo, conditioner, uh, and lotion, deodorant, toothpaste. Mint is a, is a big blocker of guaifenesin. So those toothpaste contain mint. So what a lot of people do is they get the startup kit. And, and they make sure that that's what they start with and then they add products as time goes on that's and right. that's a smart idea that they they made that sort of niche market so it's not as difficult for people to go out and find yeah. um, at the same time i i feel like i should mention this so monica always says you know none of anything um on the nothing on the podcast should be taken as medical uh, advice because we're not doctors we don't pretend to be you are actually a doctor, uh, but at the same time, I guess the disclosure should be that I don't think anyone should take this advice without consulting like Melissa or the literature. Um, I wouldn't just from here and then no. immediately go do things. No, no. Yeah. Um, talk to your physician first. Say, I'm interested in starting the Guaifenesin protocol. I've read the book. I have been to Dr. Congdon's website. Dr. St. Amon's website, this is what I've learned and, and this is what I'd like to do. And, and uh, uh, you know, uh, get their input on that. And of course they can always reach out to you personally, right? I mean, you are, <laughs> this is what you do. Uh, and uh, you know, you're a pioneer in this. Ooh, that reminds me of the other thing I wanted to ask. So you were talking about how you brought in other physicians who maybe yes. were like non-believers in fibromyalgia and, and the diagnosis and, and whatnot. Um, you brought them in and showed them the map. Have you done videos on that? Because I feel like that would be a good idea. <laughs> to, like to show doctor, other doctors. Yes. Watching them do what you do and then their feedback on it. Right. Yes, so. and I, I can, the, the next time I do a mapping seminar, I can certainly ask those healthcare providers if they would mind um, being, uh, you know, filmed. Uh, uh, the, the, the nodules are more easily felt than seen on right. a video. 
Um, but, but yes, I mean, watching the, the physicians faces and, and hearing them say, Oh yeah. Oh yes. I feel that. Oh yeah. Now I understand what you're talking about. Yeah. Somehow voicing exactly what's going on and what they're learning. And I don't know, it was just an idea, but all, all I keep thinking is that as you know, true for all good ideas, this should spread that there is another way to the very least diagnose fibromyalgia and hopefully uh, the guaifenesin <laughs> protocol is good um, for all, if not, you know, most people. Uh, but regardless, anything, in my opinion, that helps people and doesn't hinder should be known and that word should be spread. So and I can help you with that offline if there's any way that I can make that well known because as someone who has fibromyalgia myself and the diagnosis process has been very wishy-washy. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that should be put out there. Um, and that's one of my goals too. What, like my biggest dream is that when someone is diagnosed with fibromyalgia, that in the toolbox that the doctor gives them for possible treatments, the guaifenesin protocol is listed in there. Hmm. Now it's, it is an antidepressant or gabapentin or Lyrica Savella, uh, um, maybe Cymbalta and maybe a muscle relaxant. Hmm. Let's expand that a little bit more to guaifenesin and you know how magnesium, how well it works in, in Epsom salts. I was so surprised when I heard that at first. I, I was on a Facebook group and I asked people, what do you, what's like a natural remedy you guys do? And a lot of them would say Epsom salts. And I was like, what? And then I looked into what Epsom salt was and it's magnesium. And aha. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Awesome. 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 Yeah. yeah. And so that, that's what I do with patients is that, you know, I open up this huge toolbox and I'm like, all right, let me tell you the things that can work for people with fibromyalgia. What resonates for you? And I help develop a comprehensive personalized treatment plan. So the goal is that as the toolbox should be really, really big and, and the person should be able to choose. Well, I'm all about personalization. That's Everything I've done in my life, my, my professional life, I mean, Wellacopia is literally matching based on the best fit person for you as an individual. So personalization, where it's at. Uh, we do have to wrap up in a minute, but before we do, I wanted to know if you could tell us a story or two about a couple of patients that you've worked with. Sure. Um, one patient that comes to mind is a woman named Stephanie. And uh, she was in a documentary I produced um, a few years ago. Um, I wanted to thank Dr. St. Amand uh, for developing the protocol. And since he's getting up in years, I wanted to do it while he was still alive, right? Thank him. And so I hired a local filmmaker um, to uh, come to my office and, and film uh, a number of patients tell their stories about how they recovered on the guaifenesin protocol and it's called fibromyalgia getting our lives back success stories on the guaifenesin protocol and it's on youtube so um stephanie is a wildlife biologist and started developing chronic pain in her 20s and 
really, really was severe. And um, she, she tried to push through. She found that being outside uh, and moving helped her. And she found being in warm weather helped her. So a wildlife biologist, that was like a perfect job for her. Then it stopped working so well. And the doctors really couldn't figure out how to help her. And they said, well, you just must be one of those people with pain. And um, she started the Glyphenicin protocol. And I remember getting a call from her Feldenkrais practitioner, who was also doing body work. And he said, now I know the Glyphenicin protocol works. Stephanie, he said, I've been treating Stephanie for years. She's been on Gwai for nine months. Her muscles have totally changed. They're soft now. They're more mobile. So anyway, um, she gets better. (laughs) (laughs) I turn off everything but not my alarms. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. God. <laughs> That's okay. A wonderful story you're in the middle. Interrupting my Stephanie needs to be heard. <laughs> okay, go on. Sorry. So uh, so Stephanie starts quite venison and she starts feeling better. She starts being able to do more things um without pain. And she's finally able to contemplate getting pregnant and having a child. And she was able to do that. So she she brings the little guy in to the the uh the day that she was being filmed and and there's her her six-week-old child and so i mean to to have someone um feel better get their life back and to be able to 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 really achieve one of their dreams is awesome Uh, so yeah i i can't imagine anything better than impacting someone's life that way must give you so much joy every day definitely it really does and yeah even just being the one person you know yeah right exactly fabulous uh well kids do that's fun it's fun helping kids feel better because um a lot of uh most pediatricians will not even though they think a child has fibromyalgia, they'll call it an amplified pain syndrome because they don't want someone, a child labeled. Mm-hmm. But studies show if they can get treatment and, oh, the GUI, the GUI protocol works so well and so fast in kids, um, then, then kids that have chronic pain and fatigue or trouble with concentration and memory, they're like better so fast. So that's really fun. Yeah, kids adapt to things so fast. Lucky them. <laughs> Lucky them. Lucky them. Ah, yeah. Some things are better when you're older, some things are better. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I think this is a, a great place uh, to end. It was such a pleasure having you, having you on. You're so inspirational, educational. Like I learned a lot. Hope everyone else did too, listening. Uh, we'll definitely have uh, show notes, um, answers to so, some of these questions as well as the links that you, you spoke about and how people should contact you. Uh, and if anyone wants any more information that we haven't talked about, let us know in the comments. Uh, all right, well, have a fabulous evening in your warm weather. I'm gonna go enjoy the snow. <laughs> all right, thanks so much. Thank you. Take Bye. care. You too.
Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Invisible Not Broken podcast. I'm Eva, your new co-host and co-founder of Wellacopia, the matching platform for chronic illness patients and practitioners. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, be kind, be gentle, be badass.